Let's move it this way and put you there so that it's not facing the kitchen. No? Okay. so much stuff. There's literally never anything here. Okay, okay. Is this yours? No. Good. Okay. A little too bright, right? <laughs> okay. We need to get shades. It's okay. Huh? Okay, but you could see, so it's fine. Yeah, but they can't see me. They can hear you. Your Torah is all that matters. Ah, okay. okay. Better. Okay, much better. Okay, we're in the kitchen now. Very good. <clears throat> we're good, we're good, we're good. Okay. Okay, we start. So this week's class uh, is Le'ilui Nishmat Reuven Ben Barcha. My grandfather, Reuven Bibi, is t- today is his Yartzeit. This is interesting, 40 years, 57, 40, 57, 80. Crazy. And uh, my uncle, Mo Gindi, uh, Moshe Ben Victoria, also today, uh, 23rd of Tammuz. What? Say, say. Wow, we need a director here in order to get this right. Okay, now we try. Good. Okay, so this week's class is uh, on Matot and Masai. We have a double perasha that we read. Also, we're in the middle of the of the three weeks. We always read these portions, Ben HaMetzarim, in the middle of the three weeks. Uh, also, I want to wish a happy birthday to uh, my granddaughter's her birthday tomorrow. Amalia and my sister Ellen is this week. Uh, we find so uh, we find ourselves this period of Ben Hametzarim is considered a period of danger. Uh, people people uh, nervous. Do I go swimming? Do I go in the ocean? Uh, what can I do? We have, we don't want to do business deals. We don't want to do things. So what is this idea of this period of danger? So we're going to read Matot. Matot's the first parashat. begins with vows. We talk about the war with Midian. We talk about Reuben and God not wanting to go into the land and staying on the other side of the Jordan. And then Parshat Matzei, which is basically the 42 journeys that we went to. The Zohar has very little to say on these portions. There's actually, even though there's almost like a whole book for Pinhas last week, there's only one page for Matot and zero. For, uh, for the last parasha. But there is a word of caution from the Zohar Kadosh. In Bereshit it tells us that we have to observe that the accuser, meaning the Satan, attacks a man only in time of danger. And this we consider a time of danger. So it was on account of Yaakov having delayed to fulfill his vows which he made to Hashem. So Yaakov Avinu was afraid and he was attacked by Satan because he made a vow, and we're going to see in a few minutes, and he didn't fulfill it in time or delayed. So we have to be very, very careful. So the Zohar Kadosh continues that a person should never open his mouth for the Satan, 
Inasmuch as the Satan is sure to take hold of any utterance we make and use it to bring accusations on high and below, all the more so if the utterance of a righteous man or a sage is said, that a person has to be very, very careful. So let's first try to understand a little bit about the three weeks, Ben HaMetzani. So it's these three weeks which begin, uh, Satan Amalek? No, I don't think so. so <laughs> So Ben HaMetzadim, three weeks, is the uh, 17th of uh, Tammuz, which was last Thursday, and continues through a week from Thursday coming, which is Tisha B'Av. These are three weeks, we consider them three weeks of mourning, and we had five calamities which fell on us uh, in, in, on those days, and additionally we have on Tisha B'Av five calamities which struck us. The custom for us, basically, for the three weeks is no weddings, new house, we don't get a new house, clothes, shefianu, music. And <clears throat> we have to understand what is really going on during these three weeks. When we can say it's a time of mourning, what does that mean? Is it a time of crying? Is it a time of sadness? We have to understand also that there's always a cause and effect. The Gemara tells us there are bad things that happen, there are possibly bad days that they happen on, but in reality there's no bad days. There's no bad people. There's only bad choices. The Arizal talks about these days, specifically Shiva Sabbath Tammuz and Tisha B'Av, is disastrous. But it's not the fault of the day. It's the fault of some action. It wasn't born to be negative. We have to remember that the 17th day of Tammuz could have been the greatest day in Jewish history. The 17th day of Tammuz, the beginning of this three-week period, could have been the most unbelievable day. Because this was the day that Moshe Rabbeinu came down from Har Sinai at Matan Torah and we had raised ourselves up to the level of Adam before the sin. The process of Matan Torah and raising ourselves up would have been completed with our acceptance of the Luchot. We have to understand that that was a period that we could have had no death, no illness. And what happened? Instead of it being the most powerful day in Jewish history, the potential to change everything, what did we do? We didn't accept the message. It's almost like we rejected the groom after the wedding ceremony. So what an anniversary we have, a day that could have been the most incredible, the most amazing day, the day of, of, of an unbelievable future. What happened was Moshe came down and found us worshiping the golden calf through the Luchot. Boom start over. The rabbis tell us, I said it had to brought, it's engraved on tablets. Don't read engraved. Read Harut, read freedom. What is the freedom, the rabbis say? The potential of Shiva Sabda Tammuz was a freedom from pain, a freedom from suffering, a freedom from the dark side, a freedom from fear, a freedom from death. When we're free of suffering, we don't cause other people to suffer was such a huge potential. But anything so huge has to be earned. 
no pain, no gain, the more precious, the higher the price. And we had a test. What was our test? Do we worship the Egel or not? Do we dance around and do what we want or do we serve Hashem? We had an opportunity to overcome, we failed. So this day had a huge, huge potential. Rabbi Avitan used to explain that electricity always helps us to understand Kabbalah. A day of incredible amount of energy. Our job was to complete the circuit. Imagine, the energy is amazing going through the wires. So much energy, so much power, so much good. And what did we do? Instead of completing the circuit, we blew it. We cut the wire. Now you have hanging a wire from above that's falling down to us and it's a live wire with high voltage. You gotta be careful. Is it bad? No. It's a huge potential. You have power to do good or bad. It's what we do. Shiva Basavit Tammuz is an incredibly powerful day. A day of incredible, incredible energy. A day of huge potential, high power. But because we did not complete the circuit, we left that wire hanging, what do we have to do? We have to be careful. If you ask someone, what's the nature of these three weeks? They'll tell you, it's a time of mourning, don't be happy, be sad, remember all the terrible events. But that's a difficult, difficult statement because from a spiritual side, if I'm sad, if I'm depressed, if I'm filled with pain, then what do I do? I make myself sick. I give my pain to others, make them sad and sick. And I cannot connect in a state of depression and sadness to the light of Hashem. My own depression cuts me off. The rabbis don't tell us that these are days to be sad. They tell us these are days to reduce, reduce our joy. He says, I have to understand the concept of halachic mourning. What does it mean to mourn? It's not sit and be miserable. It's not sit in depression. Too many Jews hold misery as a high level of practice. The more miserable they are, the prouder they are. Oh, you're miserable? I'm even more miserable. It's ridiculous. Where does it tell you to be depressed? Imagine going to the hospital to visit a person who's not feeling well, a person who's sick. You try to empathize, feel what they feel. You become miserable. And we think this is okay. The point to visit the sick is to cheer him up. Don't pull him further into misery. People want to go, oh, you're sick. Oh, but I'm much sicker. What do we do that for? We think it's inappropriate to be happy when someone else is miserable, so we join in their misery. Chas v'shalom, if one person is suffering with cancer, do we want other people to have? No, we want everyone to be cured. So what does it mean? A person is in mourning. What happened to them? They lost a part of themselves. They lost a part of themselves. It's like chas v'shalom, losing a limb. They lost a relative. In their family, a circuit has been broken. The energy going through the family has been cut. There's a short circuit. There's a wire, a live wire not connected. So what do we do? If there's a live wire, 
We get lucky. We sit home. No big decisions. No work. Be careful. Time out. Repair. We're going to get back to this. Now let's jump to Tisha B'Av. What happened to Tisha B'Av that became a day of national mourning? The Miragli that we discussed a few weeks ago. The spies. They came back. And they said, up. Oh, too tough for us to get into this land. The people cry. They reject the land. They reject Moshe Rabbeinu. So instead of intense joy, imagine what it would have been if the spies came back and said, people, we're going. This is it. We would have marched into the land. And Tisha B'Av would have been the holiday of us saying, wow, we're going. And if we had gone then right away, Moshe would have come, all the people would have come, we would have entered Eretz Yisrael and it all would have been over. We would have changed the world. But because we failed on Tisha B'Av to utilize the energy of that day in a positive way, we had a decree against us. We're going to stay in the desert for 40 years. Everyone who is between 20 and 60 is going to die in the desert during those 40 years. On that day, we messed up the energy, we cut the wires. And because of that, a thousand years later, on that day, the first Bet HaMikdash destroyed. 500 years after that, the second Bet HaMikdash is destroyed. Another 100 and some odd years after that, Bar Kokhba's rebellion is destroyed. Go another thousand years later after that, what do we have? We have the Spanish Inquisition, we have the expulsion from Spain in 1492. And people, rabbis, people, historians tell us that World War I actually began on Tisha B'Av as well. It's a dangerous, dangerous period. High voltage, be careful, avoid. We can mess up, we could hurt ourselves. And therefore, when we're supposed to hang low, lay low, they tell us, don't buy a house these weeks, don't move into the house these weeks, don't get married, you got too much pressure on you. Don't add to your pressure. There's too much going on in this period. No Shekhyanu. We have from Shabbat Sabbat Tammuz. The first period is we call the three weeks. Then from Rosh Chodesh Av, we have what we call the nine days. Then we have the week of Tisha B'Av, Shavua Shechalbo. And then we have Tisha B'Av itself. The point is low key. The lower we go. We say no meat. Let's, let's stay simple. Let's keep things simple. Let's sit on the floor. Let's not get in anyone's way. The Arizal explains that Tisha B'Av is what we call the worst day of the year. And people fast, but not because of sadness. We fast because Tisha B'Av had the biggest potential, the greatest amount of energy, and we messed up. And instead of becoming our day, because we cut the wires and reversed the polarity, or we reverse the power, it became the day of the Nachash. And Tisha B'Av is the day of the other side. The energy of Tisha B'Av is energy of the other side. And the problem on Tisha B'Av, and the reason that I stay low and I do not connect with anything, is because any connection that I make on Tisha B'Av is simply supplying energy to the Nachash, to the dark side. 
It's actually the opposite of Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is the day of no, no Nachash. We say Hasatan, right? Hasatan is 364. 364 days the Hasatan has some power. One day no, one day Yom Kippur. The day of Yom Kippur is a day that's all light, no darkness. It's a day connected to our neshama. So what do we do on Yom Kippur? We eliminate all aspects of physicality as we're connected as completely spiritual beings. Tisha Be'av, we have very similar laws to Yom Kippur. We don't eat, we don't drink, we don't bathe. Because if we eat on on Tisha B'Av, it's like eating the Gid HaNasheh. We don't even learn except things that are permissible. Because everything we do on that day connects to the negative side, to the dark side. We reverse the wires and we send energy the wrong way. When the wires are messed up, what are you supposed to do? Ground yourself. Live wire. Be careful. Sit and wait. This is Tisha B'Av. We sit, we ground ourselves, we lay low, we wait. We let the day pass. It's interesting, Ashkenazim, they don't wear tefillin on Tisha B'Av. Many Sephardim, they put it on at home. Today the custom is more like in the Kubalim, where they're even putting it on in Shul, especially when we pray at Vatikin. And maybe that is because we're looking towards the Gilulah. We sit on the floor, we stay on the ground, we stay home. Too many wires are dangling, too much energy is in the air that can hurt us because it's not connected in the proper way. So what do we do? How do we fix it? We always want to fix things. We never want to leave something not fixed. If we're here, we have to fix it. It's the nature of us as beings. But sometimes in life, we need to wait. And the three weeks is a period of a waiting period. It's like avelut. It's like mourning. Mourning isn't the aspect of crying. Mourning is an aspect of laying low until we could reconnect because the wires got severed. Imagine Hasve Shalom, a person has surgery, and in surgery something is removed. You don't run to work the next hour, the next day. You need a period of recovery. That's what this is. Things are dangerous. We messed up. We disconnected ourselves in a way, and we need time to recuperate read time to be able to reconnect. It's interesting how we mentioned Tisha B'Av and Yom Kippur have similar laws, but opposite reasons. Now we always read Matot, this parasha, with vows, which begins with the vows and the oaths. We always read it, like we said, during the three weeks. Moshe Rabbeinu, the parasha begins, Moshe Rabbeinu tells B'nai Israel according to all the Lord commanded Moshe, and Moshe spoke El Rashe Hamatot, the chiefs of the tribes. It's interesting, Rashe, the heads of the Mateh, of the staff, the chief of staff. I think we get the English wording from there, the chief of staff. This is the thing which Hashem has commanded. If a person vows a vow or swears an oath, we have a neder or shevuah. So we have the concept of vows. Now, and all, that's, that, that's what we have now. It's interesting, we also have the concept of vows, not just in the three weeks. The concept of vows also is how we begin Yom Kippur. Because in Yom Kippur, we always begin Yom Kippur with Kol Nidre. Kol Nidre is all vows. And what are we doing? We're coming before we begin Yom Kippur. 
to annul our vow, our, our vows, a person absolves himself of any vows or oaths that he may have uh, made and violated. The Shibola Haleket says the severity of violating a vow or an oath is such that it will block or interfere with the entire atonement process. So again, in a similar fashion, you have this tube of energy, this wire that's coming down to us, the, the, shef, the shefa that's coming to us to, to nourish us in a way on a spiritual side. And what happens the same way that we're saying that the, the, we reverse or we blocked it on Yom on Tisha B'Av and, and Shiva Sabbath Tammuz, this whole period of the three weeks, a vow that's not fulfilled acts as a blockage to stop the Shefa from coming down. It blocks and interferes with the entire process. And if we don't clear it up before Yom Kippur, then the whole atonement process is wiped out. So remember that this week also, the guy who goes up to the Torah for the last Aliyah, for Mashlim, it's similar to Chatan Torah, because in reality, we're finishing the Torah. Originally, Hashem tells Moshe, there's the four books of Moses. The fifth book, Devarim, is called Mishneh Torah, it's repeating the Torah. And this was given to Moshe to, to either do or not do. This was up to Moshe. Moshe had the, the uh, permission to either go with Devarim or not. It's voluntary Devarim. So the reality is the Torah, the main portion of the Torah, ends with this week's parasha. This week's parasha. So why? When we end the Torah, do we end it like this? What's the subject matter? Moshe speaks to the heads of the tribes. Rashi Matot. He's teaching them a halacha. Are they to teach the people? We have nowhere else that Moshe speaks to Rashi Matot, to the heads of the tribes, in order to teach the people. Although the Gemara says, what do you mean? The system was. Moshe came, he taught to Aharon, then to the sons, then it goes on and on, level by level, until they're teaching the people. So is this parasha at the end of the whole Torah coming to teach us the system? Why tell me the system at the last minute? Why not earlier? And was this the, the system? But I think it appears that the leaders need to be responsible for the people, especially when it comes to vows. The pasuk says, Zeh hadavar. This is the thing. Zeh hadavar. This is the thing. Versus ko'amar. Every other Navi has only a vision of Hashem. Moshe Rabbeinu, it's perfectly clear, like looking through a glass, a clear glass. This is exactly when it says Zeh, this is exactly what Hashem said. Not when the prophets write Ko, like Hashem said. But again, it's interesting. In the whole Torah, why until the last ending of the Torah do we have Zeh Adavar? Only this week. Couldn't it come sooner? Why do we have to wait for now? And this mitzvah, neder, vows, one of the last mitzvot, promises. What does it mean? Why is it coming now? And what is it? It's a person who says, you know what? I don't want to live in this town anymore. 
So what does he do? He goes to Home Depot. He buys the sign for sale. He puts it in front of his house. Ha! He fulfilled. The rabbis say when a person makes a neder, fulfills it, goes all the way up to Kiseh Kavod. What's the first neder that we have in the Torah? What's the first vow? The first promise? Yaakov Avinu makes a vow. In the Torah it says that Yaakov made a vow. He says, if Hashem will be with me, and will keep me in this way, and he's going to give me bread to eat, and clothes to wear, and a place, uh, you know, a place to put my head, right? And I go back to my father's house in peace, then Hashem is going to be my God, and this stone which I've set as a pillar shall be Hashem's house, and all that you shall give me, I'll surely give you a tenth. So he's promising he's going to make a pillar, an altar to Hashem, and he's going to give Maser. If you bring me back, I will build an altar. The Gemara from here says, When is it good to make a neder? When is it good to make a vow? When something is going to happen, a person is in distress, he could make a neder. Just like Yaakov. Yaakov is making a neder. I'm leaving the country. I'm going to my uncle Lavan's house. I'm very concerned about what's going to happen to me there. Hashem, if you take care of me and bring me back, then I will do. That's a neder that a person's allowed to make. But a person has to be sure to fulfill the neder, to fulfill the vow. Too many people sit and they make pledges, which is a vow, and then they don't fulfill the vow. Look at Yaakov Avinu. It's not that he didn't fulfill the vow. He's delayed, perhaps, in fulfilling the vow. And what happens because of the delay? The rabbis say, Rachel Imenu dies. Dina is kidnapped and raped. Esav comes and almost kills Yaakov and his family. Why? For delaying to fulfill a vow. And this has to teach us that when we make a vow, when we make a pledge, when someone goes up to the Torah on Shabbat, what should he do Saturday night? He should take out his phone and he should make the transfer or he should make his payment. Don't wait to fulfill the vow. Set up the schedule immediately to pay your vows. Because a vow that's not fulfilled is like a sword hanging in the sky. Chasve Shalom the Gemara says that people who don't fulfill their vows, their children pass away. Their businesses go. All from unfulfilled vows. There's a whole list of bad things the rabbis tell us from unfulfilled vows. Not only mitzvot, but whatever comes out of a person's mouth. Mess up. Major trouble. A person has to be careful. It's a major sin. The Gemara tells a crazy story. Boy meets girl. Boy's in the field with girl. Boy promises to marry the girl. The girl says, who's the witnesses? Ah. The hole in the ground is one witness, and where's the other? <gasps> the mouse running through the field. He leaves the girl, he never marries her. He marries someone else, he has two children. What does the Gemara tell us? One, Chas he falls in a pit, and he passes. The other gets bit by a rodent, gets sick, and passes. Says the Gemara, and it's frightening. Says that, also, that a person has to remember Sedakah is given with thought. What does that mean? 
if I'm thinking to give someone a hundred, and then I look at the guy and I say, ah, I don't like his face, I'm only going to give him 99, the person is guilty. It's so stringent. It's so stringent that we have to remember that what we think when it comes to tzedakah, we have to fulfill. And after that, we see neder, neder. But what does it say, neder, neder? After telling us how important it is to fulfill the vow, after telling us how important it is not to let it hang, after telling us how important it is every word that comes in our, out from our mouth, what does the Torah tell the Rashi'ah Matot, the leaders? Listen, if you people don't fulfill it, call the rabbi and tell the rabbi, Rabbi, I messed up. Now, if the rabbi says, you messed up, and he tells you, well, if you pay me, I'll take care of it, then you know he's not the right rabbi. It has to be for free. So, so what does he do? You go to the rabbi, you say, Rabbi, I messed up. I made a vow. I didn't realize the consequences of the vow when I made the vow. And the rabbi tells you, You are going to be. We're going to undo the promise. So what the Arizal tells us reaches the Kisea Kavod, the, 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 the chair of Hashem, the throne in heaven, the rabbi could undo the rabbi could undo the vow. No, you don't like rabbis. You don't want to go to the rabbi. You don't want to talk to the rabbi. No problem. You get three Shomer Shabbat friends. They form a Bedin. You tell them what you did. Mutarim lachem, mutarim lachem, mutarim lachem. All finished. Vow is gone. Walk away scot-free. It's crazy. You don't have to fulfill the vow. We just talked about how important it is when it comes to a vow. It's all gone. You didn't have to even say Beli Neder. Go even further. A wife. She says, you know what? We're never going to the in-laws again for dinner. I make a vow never to go to the in-laws again for dinner. What do you do? The husband could say, you know what? Annulling my wife's vow. Gonna mess up his life, right? No problem. Wave the wand, boop, boop, he annuls the vow. The question is, it's either stringent or it's not. If a man says he's not going to drink wine and he drinks the wine, yes, it's like a sacrifice. Yeah, he can't, it, but now you're saying it's so easy to undo? How do we understand what's going on with this? Vows are so crucial. Vows can be annulled. Next subject. Hashem tells Moshe, go take revenge for your sake on Midian. Destroy them for your sake. Then Moshe, you're going to die. Moshe doesn't delay. He goes straight to the people. But he changes. And he says, you know what? We have to take revenge against Midian for Hashem's sake. So we have a holy war against Midian. We send 36,000 soldiers. Not really 36,000 to fight. 12,000 to fight. 12,000 to hold their weapons. And 12,000 to pray and say Tehillim for them. And out of all those 36,000, no one was lost. No one died. It's interesting to have a student for each soldier to pray for him. Maybe an idea we could incorporate into modern times. And they capture many things. Hashem says, what'd you get? What's the list? 
So he says, there's a whole list, and you have to have meches l'ashem, you give 2% to the levi, and one five hundredth to El Azar. Now the question again is, why do we wait till now to tell about this? Why didn't we tell this the first time we had a battle? Finally, next story. Mikneh Rav. They had lots and lots of sheep and cattle. Who had sheep and cattle? The tribe of Reuven, the tribe of God. They were very rich. So many sheep, so much cattle. The whole land couldn't support it. They were the richest of all the tribes when it came to, when it came to livestock. How did they get so wealthy? So they turn to Moshe and they say to Moshe, Moshe, we have so much livestock. This land here that we conquered, it's beautiful. Very green. Lots of places for the sheep to eat. What does Moshe do? You don't want to come into the land? He blessed them. Not to go is going to cause a destruction. You're going to be just like the Miraglim. You're going to be just like the spies. Then they come close and say, Whoa, 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 Moshe, chill, chill, chill. Maybe you didn't hear us. Let us explain. We're going to go ahead of you. We're going to leave our families and our cattle over here. But we're going to go ahead of all of you. We're going to help capture the land. You're going to divide up the land, and then we're going to return to our families. I think about it as if to say, you know, Mashiach is here. Everybody come and help and fight for the final war. So we'll go, okay, I'm going to go fight, but I'm going to leave my wife and my kids behind. And I'll go, and I'll fight, but I'm coming back, because I, I got a nice ocean view here. In Jerusalem, they don't got that same ocean view. And I like the sand here. It's much nicer than the sand over there. Nice and clean. So I'm going to come back because I like the sand here. But what's going on? What happens now? They tell Moshe, oh, we're going to go fight, but we're not coming into the land. What does Moshe do? Remember, it's the daughters of Slovakad. Moshe has to take out the phone and dial 1-800-Almighty. Beep, 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 beep. Hashem, what do I do? Now, what does Moshe do? This is a big question. Two tribes, two and a half in the end, two tribes don't want to go into the land? What are you going to do, Moshe? Moshe says, no problem. No problem. And we're going to, when we divide up the land, we're going to divide it up only for nine and a half tribes. He doesn't wait for Hashem. The demands are acceptable. What's going on? How could Moshe not even check 1-800-Almighty? Beep, beep, beep on the... Hashem, what do we do here? No, they can stay outside. Says the Arizal, explains the Arizal. Every morning when we pray, we pray Shachrit, we come in the morning. If we want our prayers to be accepted, then we need to say before we pray, I love everyone like myself. I love everyone of B'nai Israel like myself. And it has to be everyone. It can't be, you know what, Hashem, I like everyone from B'nai Israel like myself except for Mr. Can't be. Has to be everyone. Says the Gemara, before a person gets the Gan Eden, he paid the price, he has the deed, he did everything he was supposed to do, he knows he has a land in Gan Eden with a nice house to live. Says he's ready to enter Gan Eden and go find his house. They stop him. They stop him and they ask him some questions. What's the first question? 
were you honest in business? Did you sketch? Did you cheat? Did you cheat the insurance company? Did you cheat in the taxes? Did you sign the papers that weren't 100%? Did you cheat your customer? If he did, can't get into Canada. Next question. Did you lift the burden of your brother? He's hungry, he's in need. Did you just ignore him and run away on vacation? Did you say, I'm so sorry, but there's a sale in Bloomingdale's and I have to go? You have to relieve the burden of your brother. You wanna go shopping, go shopping all day, but take one hour to feel the pain and relieve the burden of your brother. If not, no entry into Shammai, no entry into Ganed. And the final question, did you set aside time for Torah? Time every day to learn. Says the Ariza. Hashem says, Ani Hashem, I am Hashem, Hashem who took you out, from the land of Egypt, from the house of slavery. This is the first commandment, that Hashem took me from slavery. And follows that I should have no other gods before me. The question is, why would Hashem care if I'm an idiot and I want to have other gods before me? Tough on me if I want to be an idiot and bow down to a, to a piece of stone. Does Hashem need me to believe in Hashem? Don't smoke because cigarettes are hazardous to your health. Don't drink bleach even if you think someone told you because it's going to stop you from getting sick. The idiot's going to drink bleach. It's poison. But Hashem is worried about us. Does He need us? The fact is, Hashem really, does He care if we do or not? But if we want to be successful, we have to be one with Hashem. One connected with Hashem. We have to connect those wires, connect that to. Hashem owns everything. You could be partners. Okay, I believe. I believe, Hashem. I believe. Show me the money. I believe. What is that? That's what I'm going to say, show me the money? Because I believe? Says Arizal. A person has to feel all the time. I was a slave. Avadim hayinu I was a slave. And if Hashem didn't take us out, we would have still been slaved. And then we have to feel that once we left Mitzrayim, we become avadim to Hashem. We're slaves to Hashem. And if we're all slaves, then we're all equal. Then there's no jealousy. We're all the same. As a slave, there's no gava, there's no pride. There's no jealousy of what someone else has. A person is as down to earth as we get. You know, when we ask Hashem for things, and that's specifically in the Amidah, we never say, Rifa'ini, heal me. We say, Rifa'inu, heal us. We ten lanu, everything is us. It's in plural. It's never about me. It's always about us. It's always about the connection that we have one to another. And Hashem is going to give us only if we're one unit. One unit together, and together with Hashem. We can't say to Hashem, you know what, Hashem, give me, don't give him. We can't say, Hashem, do it for me, but don't do it for him. 
If you exclude one, your tefillah is blocked. It's not going anywhere. And truthfully, once we stood there, we stood there, Am Echad, one nation, Belev Echad, with one heart. We said, Naaseh, we will do, Venishma, we will listen. We have Beneg Reuven and Beneg God. Vayomer Keish Echad. Yonatan ben Uziel says they're the richest of tribes. Why? The Arizal explains that when B'nai Reuven and B'nai God say, we will go armed, we will take the lead, this verse is magic. Why richest? Because they felt for the rest of B'nai Israel. They said, yeah, we're going to stay. It works out for us. But we're not going to abandon our brothers. Not only are we going to go with them, we're going to go in front of them. We want to have, but we feel for others. We want to repair the breach. We want to reconnect the wires. And here is the secret. This is the secret to reconnect the wires, to fix the cut, to stop the wire from hanging. It says, Abraham kaved me'od. Abraham was very, very, very wealthy. He had sheep. He had silver. He had gold. He believed. I believe, right? But belief alone is nothing. Nothing. Belief is a tool to get you to the destination. And what's the destination? To create unity. For each of us to remember that we're a member of B'nai Israel. Why? Because we deal honestly. We speak truthfully. We make a vow. We commit and hold the vow. We feel the burden of anyone else. And we see if someone made a vow and couldn't hold it, we release them from the vow. We feel the burden of our brother and we share the burden with him. And we set aside time for Torah. It's interesting, when we do Kal Nidre on Yom Kippur, we take out all the Torahs. Because we have to connect to the Torah in order for this to work. We're not a Jew because we do mitzvot. A person could do everything, all the mitzvot, pay the price for Gan Eden, pay the price for the big house, have the zechut of everything he did, all of his Torah, all of his tzedakah, all of his all of his, his good deeds. And he gets to the gate of heaven and they're still going to ask him, Sadiq, were you honest? Were you an honest guy? How did you have a heart to cheat? Did you feel the pain? It says, one guy looks, he says, he has a wealthy neighbor, why? It says, might be that that guy felt for someone else. The conditions to get a person in is honest, feeling, and connecting to the Torah. Reuven and, and God, the richest of the tribes. At first, Moshe blessed them. Moshe, you don't understand. We're down to earth. We're united with you. We're going to go first. Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't even have to ask Hashem. He agrees. Because you feel for your brother, Hashem will reward you. Hashem's going to reward you. Once you say, we're going to go ahead and fight, you feel for each other, Moshe could agree. 
And it's via the Torah that we feel for each other that we become one unit. We see the attitude of Bnei Israel so beautiful today. Every soldier, every soldier is someone we worry about. A soldier passes, we all cry. A soldier is lost or missing, we all pray and do what we can to find him. It's such a contrast to the rest of the world. The rest of the world, we have the list of how many soldiers died today. Their numbers, not names. To us, every soldier is a connection to us, is a part of me, is a limb that I'm connected to. We're all one. It says, it says now give the spoils. Zehadavar, the neder is so crucial. The neder is so crucial, it connects us. It says, don't worry. The husband could annul the wife. The rabbi could annul the person. Three friends could annul someone else. Zehadavar, this is the thing Moshe could say. He says, I have to tell you, I understand what Hashem wants. Moshe, the most humble of people. Abraham, who says, what am I? Ash and dust. Says, Moshe says, I'm nothing. They feel that they're Evid of Hashem. Moshe, Evid, Hashem. They're part of each other. They're part of B'nai Israel. The husband couldn't know the wife's vow. Why? Because they're one person, unified. They're parts of each other. She is bound to him. He could announce they're the same. A neder, we're not alone. We're a partner with the other side. The rabbi could undo. Why? Because he feels for you. He's connected to you. He's connected to you in an incredible way. He's part of that unity. I'm your partner. I feel for you. Hashem asks Eliyahu Hanavi, why don't they don't why don't they believe in me? Does Hashem really care? But belief is a tool to get us to the level of unity. It's to get us next to Hashem in Gan Eden. If we feel that we're a servant, no complaint, we're all the same. We have the unity. God and Reuben represent the symbol of unity. Moshe agrees because they feel for each other. The rabbis tell us there's no vessel in the world like shalom. Shalom is peace. Shalom is completion. It's connection. We must connect before we start. I was a slave. I am a slave. I'm his slave. I'm his child. I'm not jealous of the other children. There's no advantage to cheat, to steal, to lie. Everything I have is from Hashem. I'm part of Hashem. This is a condition of redemption. Breaking a vow is a symbol of a lack of unity. This lack of unity means we cannot fulfill our potential. The reminder in this parasha, the end of the Torah, is you could reach your destination, the 42 journeys, the journey to the destination. But the destination is freedom. Freedom from what? We could reach a destination of freedom from pain, of suffering. Freedom from the dark side. This is Cherut. Freedom from fear. Freedom from death. And with that, we could bring Mashiach, Amen.
such an amazing opportunity and such an unbelievable lesson that it's not a time of sadness. It's a time to sit back because the wires aren't connected. But then we have to think, how do we then reconnect the wires? And the answer to reconnect the wires is really how the wires are broken in the first place. They break from a lack of unity. They're reconnected in unity. And unity is the one which draws everything together. I hope everybody enjoyed. Uh, have a great week. And any questions, let us know. And God willing, we're going to be able to send out a copy.